that you see there uh, before it was destroyed in the earthquake and going through that tunnel to go to friends of ours homes to share the gospel with them and uh, it was a beautiful place Beichuan. Beichuan was the closest city to the epicenter of that earthquake back in 2008 and I'm sure just as that lady said that just as life is fragile it's also full of challenges and sufferings at times. We've all gone through different challenges like that. But the story has a happy ending. Uh, this particular day when it happened, I had left China. We had gone back and God had opened up another avenue for us to have ministry at uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I was teaching missions there and taking students on mission trips. And uh, I was in Africa when that earthquake hit, uh, having breakfast and my phone started going off and a lot of Chinese friends were texting saying that a major earthquake had just happened and to please pray for us but that area is where we served that's where God took us in his great wisdom and wonder and joy that he gave the joy of our hearts we wanted to work with the people group uh, when we were appointed they were focusing on unreached mega cities in China cities of a, over a million people or more and uh, they asked us to take an unreached city and so we did because that was the focus our heart was on uh, a certain people these people and uh, as God would unfold things, uh, the unreached city that he put us in was 45 kilometers from Beituan. And so we were able to use a lot of folks from that mountain uh, in our work. And we go, would go there and they would come and help us in the city uh, there. So uh, I was able to go back there in 2009, one year after the earthquake. Uh, the government had put big fence around that whole town that you saw destroyed there. And uh, they've preserved it even to this day as a memorial site. And uh, you can go there and stand at the gate. And if you are resident there, Chinese resident, you can go down into the town. But visitors have to stay up at the gate and just look down at that whole big town. And I stood there in 2009 and looked at the ruins of that great city. Stood right next to the middle school that I used to go and teach English and share the gospel in, where a thousand students had perished in that, that school. And the flood of memories of that place just ran through my mind, filled my heart as I looked at the, what is still a beautiful area with the mountains high in the sky. Uh, it's the home of the giant panda in Sichuan province. Um, I remember going up to the top of the mountain to a tea farm with an old farmer to sit down and share the gospel with him. Um, they had a local saying there in Beitron because the mountains were so high. The local saying was, you know you're in Beitron when you look up at the top of the mountain and your hat falls off because it's so high in the sky. Um, I remember being invited across that bridge that you saw to a family's home, to a, a family that's still wonderful friends of ours. They lost some family members in the earthquake. But my first visit to that home, they were so hospitable that the parents of this young student that I went to go see, uh, he was in college and um, they said, you have to sleep in our bedroom. You're the guest of our home. You have to sleep in our, our bedroom. I said, okay. I hated to do it, but I knew culturally that was the thing to do. So uh, I got woken up in the middle of the night uh, of the family pig just coming right into the home from outside because every night he slept by the bed. And so he was just doing what he was naturally doing. And I woke up and saw this pig coming in and I said, praise the Lord. You know, why, why not? You know, what else can you do? Uh, but it's a beautiful place. Uh, and they had the, the local people there, the Chong people. I had a wonderful tradition of smoking meats and going into the shops and smelling all the smoked meats hanging there. Just all those floods of memories came back to me when I was standing there in 2009. 
And uh, it helped me understand uh, kind of what our aim is uh, for today. And that is that the sufferings that we go through bring us closer to God and grow our faith. Uh, that's what we have to deal with sometimes. And, you know, as I was standing there looking at the, the town, I just couldn't imagine the suffering that had taken place there, uh, that, that people. But in 2009, I knew what had happened before that. And folks, I believe that God orchestrates our steps and takes us where he needs us to go. He puts desires in our hearts. He calls some of us to go to the hard places to, all over the world and uh, to share the love of Jesus. And God knew in his infinite wisdom that he needed someone there in Beitron because he knew in 2008 at 228 in the afternoon that earthquake was going to shatter that whole mountain town. Um, and so a lot of good things came out of being able to minister there in Sichuan. So when I was in seminary, uh, I remember taking a course with one of my favorite professors, and he had this little saying. It doesn't mean uh, there's no magic to the number or anything, but he said, if you're sitting in church and you're a, a layperson in church, you should be reading the Bible out of four different translations just to get the meaning and context. He said, but if you're preaching or teaching God's word, you should be reading and studying out of 10 different versions of the Bible. I took him to heart. I said, well, can't be anything wrong with that. So when I was thinking about, you know, being in Baytron and seeing the suffering that uh, had taken place and just knowing how God uh, had worked uh, in the years prior, uh, I, I love 1 Peter, and I turned to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, and I got my 10 versions of the Bible out and read 1 Peter 5, 10 and all, different, all those different translations. And the one that stood out was from the Living Bible, as you saw this morning when it was put up on the screen. And so it'll come back up here on the screen here in a minute, but 1 Peter 5, 10 says in the Living Bible, and the Living Bible is a great Bible to use. Maybe you remember seeing it at your grandparents' home. Uh, it was actually... Uh, written as a paraphrase of the Bible, written by Kenneth Taylor back in the uh, 60s and 70s. He, wanted, he was a Baptist lay, uh, layperson, and uh, he was a leader in the church, and um, he wanted a, a version of the Bible that he could read his kids without them kids always, without his kids always asking, what does this mean? You know, he tried to just paraphrase things, and it came to be very popular. Billy Graham uh, started giving it away at his crusades and through his ministry, and so the Living Bible is still a great translation of the word today, but in the Living Bible, in 1 Peter 5, 10, it says, God, who is full of kindness through Christ, he will personally come and pick you up, set you firmly in place, and make you stronger than ever. And boy, when I read that, boy, those three points just popped right out to me. God gave us, you know, a preacher always needs three points, right? Uh, and God gave them to me right through that translation. You can see him there. Uh, he'll pick us up, he'll set us firmly in place, and he'll make us stronger than ever. Boy, I tell you what, that's an encouraging bit of wisdom from God's word. So, as always, we have to think about the context that Peter's writing in, uh, writing at the time. And so, of course, uh, this, this is first century uh, church is just starting to grow, and um, there was raging persecution going on under Nero. Uh, at that time, Christians were under attack by the government, uh, and the church faced its first great threat that probably could have overwhelmed the church in some way had Peter not stepped in. And so Peter was talking to his audience. They were Christians, and he was trying to encourage him, and we're always encouraged through God's word. And Peter is praying that they not be excused from suffering, 
but that the suffering might be moderate and short, that God would restore them to a peaceful and settled condition. Some of your translations may even use that word restore uh, in the translation. So Peter's theme here is grace, saying that the sufferings we go through develop and make our faith grow. We have to go through those tough times for our faith to grow. And so if you think about this, I I, I just sat down and jotted a few things uh, when I was thinking about Peter, because he's one of my Bible heroes. And we have to remember a couple of things. Peter walked with Jesus on earth. Jesus even lived in Peter's home for a time. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, if you remember that story from God's word. Peter witnessed the raising of Jairus' daughter. He saw Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. He overheard that conversation that he had between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. He witnessed part of the Lord's agony in the garden before he was crucified. Uh, He was one of the first to arrive at the empty tomb. He had a personal, private interview with the risen Jesus. He was present at Pentecost. He witnessed the Lord's ascension into glory. He healed a lame man at the gate called Beautiful. He preached despite being arrested and persecuted. He raised Dorcas from the dead. He was miraculously released from prison. You remember that story. One of my favorite stories about Peter is... He had breakfast with the risen Jesus. I want to take a commercial break real quick and just read that to you out of the Living Bible because it's a great little snippet. This comes from John chapter 21. It says, Later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Lake of Galilee. This is how it happened. A group of us were there, Simon, Peter, Thomas, the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, my brother James and I, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, we all said, and we did, but we caught nothing all night. At dawn, we saw a man standing on the beach, but couldn't see who he was. He called, any fish boys? No, we replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get plenty of them. So we did, and we couldn't draw the net because of the weight of the fish. There were so many. Then I, John, said to Peter, it is Lord. At that moment, Simon Peter put on his tunic, for he was stripped to the waist, and he jumped into the water, and he swam ashore. He couldn't get to Jesus fast enough. The rest of us stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net into the, the beach, about 300 feet away. When we got there, we saw that a fire was kindled, and fish were frying over it, and there was bread, and they had breakfast with Jesus. So Peter had much to say. These flood of memories came to Peter about all that Jesus had done for, for, for him. And you know what? Jesus never gave up on Peter, and he never gives up on you and I. And we can hang our hat on that each and every day. So this flood of memories ran through his mind, and he could not help but tell his readers that God was full of grace and that he promised to pick us up, set us firmly in place, and make us stronger than ever before. So let's go right to our first point that we saw from the the verse. That first point is that God will personally come and pick you up. Well, we need to count on that each and every day. Uh, In the Greek word, it simply means to arrange, to set in order, to adjust. Maybe some of your translations say that, to restore, to perfect you. Uh, It's the same Greek word used of these disciples, these fishermen, of mending and restoring their net. 
Uh, and many of us have a lot of mending to do in our torn and tattered lives, right? We can say as a tailor uses a needle to make way for the thread, sometimes God uses suffering in our life to make way for the perfecting of our souls. And he'll do that. He'll pick us up. And so I want to tell you a little story about uh, what happened in Baytron. Uh, that was a beautiful place, and God had directed us there to work with the Chang people. The Chang people worshiped an image of a lamb, and we wanted them to understand what worshiping a lamb really meant. And so that's why the people was, was really uh, on our heart. And so I'd made many trips in and out of the mountain from where I was, and I had a group of folks from the States, a church that had come over for a short-term mission trip. It was a pre-mission trip. It was the pastor and a couple of the deacons. They'd come. They wanted to bring their church later, so they came first to see what it was all about. And I wanted to take this pastor and his friends to Baytron to see this beautiful place and to understand the work that was going on with the people. That was back in 2005, three years before the earthquake. So uh, I arranged for transportation to get there, public bus, uh, but that particular day, the public uh, bus system went on strike. So even in China, they go on strike sometimes. And uh, so I had to quickly do some shuffling to get some uh, travel arrangements made. And I knew a guy that had a minivan. So I called him up and said, hey, can we use your van? Can you take us to Baytron this, this, uh, today? And he said, sure, sure, I'm happy to do that. And uh, at that time, I was working with a young college student. His English name was Slim. We had some friends with some great, in interesting English names. I had a friend named Ocean. I had a friend named uh, Wind. I just needed someone that was named Fire, and we would have had a band, right? <laughs> but uh, they're just precious. Uh, they would pick some of the greatest uh, English names. But Slim was a wonderful man, and um, God had given him a great ability to understand English, and he wanted to practice English, and he always loved anything that we were doing. And so I called Slim up and said, hey, Slim, you want to go with us to Baytron today? I have some Americans that we want to go and show the town, and I, I, I need you to come and help me translate. And he said, sure, I'm happy, and he was running to our apartment and he got there like in 10 minutes from the time I hung up he was so ex excited and so we got in the van and I grabbed my bag of materials which included some simple simplified Chinese tracks uh, some copies of Jesus film on the DVD or VCD um, and a few other little things like that and we were going to use them and give them out to the people in Baytron and so Slim being the uh, volunteer that he always was he grabbed that bag it was about a shoe, shoe box size bag and he grabbed it, he said, I'll take this. And he got all the way in the back of the van and sat down so he could be with the Americans, so he could talk to them as we drove up to the mountain. And we started our trip. And I had forgotten that Slim would get car sick very easily. I'd been with him many times on the bus, and he would get sick. And I didn't even think about it. And we arrived at Baytron, and I turned around to tell everyone we were there. And I looked at Slim, who's a Chinese guy, but his face was as white as a sheet of paper. And that's not good if you're Chinese complexion, right? I said, Slim, you don't look like you feel so good. And he said, I don't. And he put his head right into the bag of materials and lost his breakfast all over our materials. Well, right then and there, I should know that Satan is trying his best to stop us, right? He doesn't want us to go and share the love of God to these people. Uh, the Americans didn't know what to do. You know, they kind of got out of the way. And I took Slim into the bathroom at the hotel that we got out at uh, there in the mountain and got him cleaned up. He was so embarrassed, you know, he was, felt so bad. And uh, got him cleaned up and I went back out and one of the uh, Americans said, what are we gonna do? I guess we have to throw all this stuff away, right? And I said, no, 
I said, we don't have anything else. We got to use it. I said, I'm going to take it in the bathroom and wash it all off. And so I did. That's what you have to do sometimes. So I took in the DVDs and even the tracks, paper tracks. So I washed them off. They were wet. And the guy even asked me, he said, what are we going to do when they ask, why is the track wet? I said, they won't care. If it's coming from you, from an American, you're giving them something, they'll take it. And they said, they'll never know the difference. And so we used what we had. We didn't give up. And so we went to this little part of the mountain that I hadn't been before and I wanted to go. Uh, and um, we started, uh, we found this little street and we started handing out the materials. Our bag was already soaking wet, so we got attacked. Because uh, I tell you, in China, if you're giving something out and people see it, it doesn't take long for word to get out and they just come from nowhere. Uh, and so people just came out into the middle of the street and they were grabbing because they were afraid they wouldn't get one of the things that were in the bag. So they were getting DVDs and tracks and things like that. And this one 14-year-old girl grabbed a DVD and like all 14-year-old teenage girls, uh, when she got it, I remember looking at her and she was just jumping up and down, just so happy that she had this. She was holding it up in the air. Look what I got, look what I got. And uh, we were getting a lot of people there and in China, as a missionary, we don't want a lot of attention attracted to us. So we, I, I told him, I said, look, we're on our way up to this temple on the side of the mountain. Uh, let's go and get out of here before the police arrive. And so we, we just left. We, we got rid of all our material, just like that. And uh, so we're walking up this little path up the side of the mountain uh, to go to this temple because I wanted them to see how people worship there and the gods that they worship and how they find some hope in life out of idols made out of wood and that was my purpose to go up there and as we we're going up the path of that mountain I heard some pattery of feet behind me and I uh, looked around and I could see it was the young girl that had the DVD and her mother uh, and a couple of other people they were following us up to the temple and uh, so when we got to the temple I said you, to the guys I said look we didn't get a chance to share the gospel down there uh, let's let's do it right here these people need to hear the gospel. So I asked the temple workers, I said, could we sit down and go over the story of Jesus with you all? We're right on enemy territory. We're in the temple where Satan is having a field day with these people from Beitron. Each and every day of their life, they're going up and putting false hope in these false gods that are up on the walls. And uh, they were excited. They had never heard it, and we were there, and they said, sure, sure, we're happy to go and, and, and help you. So in Chinese culture and custom, anytime you go to anybody's home, uh, even if they were to come into our apartment as Americans, we would have to offer them some tea. It's just what they do. And so the lady there said that she was going to go and make some tea for us. And uh, so we sat down at the table, and the mother went to help. The, the mother of this 14-year-old girl went to help uh, the ladies make the tea. And so as we're sitting there around the table, waiting for the ladies to come back, uh, we're sitting there, and all of a sudden this 14-year-old girl comes around to each one of us around the table, and she snaps her finger just like this right in front of our nose, just like that. And of course, the friends from America, their eyes got big. They said, what is she doing? I said, I have no idea. I've never seen that before. It's not anything that I'm familiar with. I said, I have no idea what she's doing. And about that time, her mother is coming out with a tea, and she sees the surprised look on her face. She understands that we don't know why this girl is doing that. And she told us, she said, my daughter was born mute 14 years ago. She's never said a word in her life. And when she was just a little girl, that was her way of saying hello to people by clicking her finger in front of her nose. She was just being polite, just saying, she was doing what she knew to do to say hello to us. And I said, oh, okay, I'm not, now I understand. And about that moment, 
that I got the explanation. I felt something in my heart that I'd never felt before in my life. And I can still remember it even to this day. I didn't hear an audible voice from God, but I felt in my heart God say, today I'm going to show my power on this mountain. This girl's going to get healed. And I said, what? To myself, kind of, and to God. And it was reconfirmed. Today, I'm going to show my power on this mountain. So the first thing I did was look at the pastor who was visiting with us. And I said, hey, this is what God just said. And that pastor said, oh, you can't say that. You don't know. You know, we we don't know. I didn't get any support from him. (laughs) And uh, but I didn't let that deter me at all because I knew what God said. And I said, okay. I didn't know how. I was thinking, what do we do? What do I do? I was thinking TV evangelism, you know, pushing them down on the forehead or something. I had no idea what to do. <laughs> I really didn't. I, I, I was confused for a moment, but then God just very peacefully said, look, you came up here to share the gospel with his family. Just do that. We never told the mother that God said he would heal her daughter. You know, she just sat down. So we sat down, and with Slim's help, we went through the gospel and I made sure that they understood what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And that mother was listening very intently. And sometimes you might, some of you may have the experience to know that um, you can kind of tell when you're sharing the gospel when someone's ready to accept it. And I could feel that in the mother. I could see it in her eyes. She wanted Jesus in her heart. And she asked, she says, how do I ask Jesus in my heart? And I said, and she was worried. She, she even asked me, do I have to light incense? You know, but back then they would like three incense sticks and place them into three fingers like this and they would shake them at the four compass points. And that was how your prayers got answered. And, I, and she was wondering, do I do that? I said, no. I said, just tell God what you want. Just tell him you want him to come into your heart. And I didn't tell her to do this, but somehow through God's Holy Spirit, she got up, she pulled her chair around, She got down on her knees and she put her face in that chair and she asked God to be her personal Lord and Savior. And I can still hear her prayer today, just saying, God, I'm a sinner. I need you. I believe you're real. You wouldn't, she even said this. She said, you wouldn't send these Americans to this far play place to tell us something that wasn't true. And she was right. We were telling her the gospel truth and she knew it. And she prayed and received Christ in her heart. She had tears in her eyes. She got up. She sat back down in the chair. We were kind of rejoicing in what we saw God do. The temple workers were really listening and they were touched. They were, had tears in their eyes. The 14-year-old girl that was there had gone off and started playing with another girl in the temple. She, was no, she had disappeared. She was off doing something different. She was sat there for a few moments, took a sip of tea or something like that. And then all of a sudden, her mother looked at me, and she said, what about my daughter? And I said, well, what do you mean, what about your daughter? She said, for 14 years, I've come up this path to this temple, and I've prayed, and she pointed. And in that temple, the four walls were full of gods that were carved out of wood, some very hideous looking. And she, she said, I would point, and I prayed to this God, and I prayed to that God, and I prayed to that God, and I prayed to this God, and my daughter was never healed. And I said, yeah, because these gods are fake. They have no power. You have to ask God what you want. She says, how do I do that? And I said, you just tell God what you want. There's no incense sticks. There's no ritual that you have to do. You just tell God from the bottom of your heart what you want him to do. 
she said, I want to do that. So just like she had done asking Jesus into her heart, she pulled the chair up back around. She got down on her knees. She buried her face in that chair. <laughs> and I can still hear her today. You know, dads love their kids, but moms have a special connection. And that mom loved her daughter. There was no doubt about that. And she just asked God to heal her daughter. She begged God to heal her daughter. She believed in her heart that God could do it. And she did. She got up, and I still remember looking down into that metal chair and just seeing the chair just flooded with her tears. And that was it. The girl was still away playing. And at that moment, I felt in my heart, we've done what we can do. We've done what we said we we're going to do. This lady's prayed to receive Christ. She's asked for healing for her daughter. I don't know what else to do other than thank the temple workers for their time and to go on to cross that bridge that you saw over to the house that we were going to next. So we helped them put the stuff away and uh, we were starting to go down the path back down to the town. And just like before, when we were going up the path, I heard this noise come, you know, rustling noise. I turned around and looked and down the path comes this 14 year old girl. She's way ahead of her mom by a little bit. You know, she's running like a 14-year-old girl would do. And so I just stopped, and I'm watching her come down the mountain. And like teenagers do, when she got to me, she kind of slid into second base. You know, she just, and the rocks went right over my shoes. I remember that. She stopped right in front of me. And God and his Holy Spirit just led me into this conversation with that young girl. I told her, I said, look, Today, God's been very good to your family and to your mom. She's prayed to receive Jesus in her heart. She's a follower of Jesus now. And she prayed for your healing. She loves you, and she knows that Jesus loves you. And I don't know why I said it other than the direction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I said to her, why don't you say, Jesus loves me? And that girl, she's sitting right there looking at me. And she looked at me, and she said, Yesu Iwa. Yesu Iwa. Her mother stopped for the first time in that mom's life. She heard her daughter speak, saying, Jesus loves me. That girl was so excited. She's running down the path, hands in the air like this, yelling, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. She ran right to her father's noodle shop. Her father was a Hui Muslim man uh, from the Hui minority group in China. And uh, he was the next person to pray to receive Jesus because he saw that God healed his daughter. And then from there, many other opportunities allow, opened up for us to share the love of Jesus in Batron. There's a verse up on the screen, I think, from Luke 11, 11. You know, that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Um, it says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? What father among you, if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then who are sinners know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give his Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's a great verse and a great promise that we can hang our hat on each day. So here is a picture of God's grace and love. He picked both the mother and the daughter up out of their ignorance of who God was and he showed him his love and mercy. He perfected them. 
he ended the girl's suffering from not being able to speak. So let's make application to this in our own life, right? That's what we do when we study scripture. We apply it to our own life. That mother saw no hope in a false, powerless religion. You here today can let God reach down from heaven and pick you up out of whatever is holding you down. From the mother's example, we see a very key point here. What's the first thing she did? The first thing she did was pray to ask Jesus in her heart. She became a believer first. Then she prayed for healing for her daughter. And anytime we ask God something from the bottom of our heart, he, he hears us. So we've seen that God can pick us up, but the second point is that he also will set you firmly in place. Some of your translations may say strengthen you. Uh, in the Greek, again, if we turn to the original language, it simply means to be rooted, to be grounded in love, to make stable. So God gives us boldness and a sense of security. And God promises to give us what we need when we need it, right? He will guide you and I in the most difficult of times. And sometimes we face difficulties in life. We all go through it, right? Well, there was another lady that helped us in Beituan. We called her Sister Wong. And she was a precious, precious lady. She was bold. And uh, she would often weep over her city, uh, over people that didn't know who Christ was. We got to know her quite well in the house church movement there. And uh, we decided one day that we needed to, to do something to get the gospel out. And at that time, we were challenged sometimes to do, they call it mass seed sowing. I call it track bombing. Uh, and so we made 10,000 tracks. And we decided we'd get the house church folks to go out and pass out these tracks uh, around the villages and the city. And so we did. And I got a phone call not long after that saying that Sister Wong had been arrested for handing out religious propaganda by the police. Well, uh, I knew she was a strong lady, but we were concerned because she really did uh, face some, some, some danger. Uh, she had won many souls to Christ. Satan was trying to, to stop her, but she decided to, to be resolved in what she was doing. So what happened was they took her down to the basement of the police station, and they had her sit at a table. She was handcuffed to the table. And uh, she told us after she got back home from this ordeal, she said the police left for a while and they came back and they had this big black book and they put it on the table, boom, and opened it up and found a place. And they said, you can't do this. See, the law says you can't do this. And undeterred by that, Sister Wong reached down in her bag, which is still there, pulled out her Bible, put it on the table, boom. This rule book says I must do what I do. So she was taking a little bit of chance. Uh, finally, after a little while, the police just countered her as a crazy old lady and let her go home, you know. But here we see a picture of God's grace and love again to her. She was very instrumental in many of the people in Baytron hearing about the love of God. Um, so her Heavenly Father gave her absolute resolve to stand firm and fast in her commitment and love for the Lord. The risk of persecution didn't phase her one bit because what? She was rooted. The original Greek word means to be rooted, to be steadfast. She was rooted in her devotion to God. So the question today is, are you rooted in your devotion to God? Because whenever we make God the center of our life, he'll give us 
again, what we need to get through difficult situations. So there's a, a passage in Psalms that I really like. And then when I read it, came across this passage in Psalm, it reminded me of Sister Wong, as we called her. Psalm 62 says, I wait patiently for God to save me. I depend on him and him alone. He alone protects and saves me. He is my defender, and I shall never be defeated. My salvation and honor depend on God. He is my strong protector. He is my shelter. So let's make application to that today. Who is your strong protector? Where is your shelter? It needs to be buried right in God's word. Um, and again, he'll give us what we need to stand fast uh, in that situation. Well, we've seen that uh, God will pick us up. And we've seen, point number two, that he'll make us, uh, set us on a firm foundation. The third point we see from this scripture is that he'll make us stronger than ever before. Maybe your translation says he'll establish you. In the Greek, it just simply means to set on a firm foundation, to be set on something solid. Uh, so remember, Peter's theme here is grace, but he's reminding us that the sufferings we go through help develop and make men and women of God out of us. So sometimes, we can all identify with this, sometimes the more something goes through a tough ordeal, the stronger it becomes, right? I often, I like watching this Mountain Man TV show, and they show this guy from the Ozarks making knives, you know? Um, and so he's following a technique, maybe some of you have done it yourself, called work hardening, taking a metal and making it hard. And uh, they do it by what? They do it by bending, squeezing, drawing the metal so that it does become strong. We would think it would be just the opposite, that it would make it weaker, but no. Sometimes you have to bend things, squeeze things, draw things through fire to make them stronger. And that's what Peter's saying here. Um, I was thinking about, you know, when we came back from China, uh, we had worked, we, we had cooked for almost seven years on a wok and a gas pilot light stove. We didn't have a microwave, we didn't even have a refrigerator, we didn't have an oven or any kind. All our cooking was done just on, in a wok or a pot, and because uh, that's all that was available to us uh, at the time. And so I'd been out of practice of using microwaves and stuff for the seven years we were in China. So we came back home, and my mom had, uh, she was a nurse working at a nursing home, and she was working the late shift. So she had made dinner for us, uh, my wife and my son and I, and uh, she said, you know, just throw some, heat it all up, and she said, put the rolls in the microwave. Okay, she didn't give me any other instructions than that, and I didn't think about it, so I put that bag of rolls in there, and I took that dial, and I just went all the way over to like 9 o'clock. <laughs> you know, it's too long. And I tell you what, those rolls went through an ordeal. And they came out stronger and harder than ever before. Uh, when, they, when we got them out, we couldn't use them. I had to throw them away. But that's, that, that happens, right? Uh, and people sometimes go through tough ordeals, no doubt about it. And uh, I'm going to share real quickly one last story from China, the blessing of our son Christopher um, and the healing of my body uh, from cancer. 2004 was one of those tough years for us. That was one of those years where God was putting us through the fire, so to speak. Uh, we had adopted this little boy, Christopher, that was left abandoned at our door because he had a cleft lip. And his people group saw that as, a, they called it a mark of evil. We today call it a mark of blessing. They, they left him there. So we became parents overnight, and we had him in our home. We got permission from the government to foster him while we could do the adoption. And uh, he was assigned to us at that point in time. 
uh, and we took care of him for over a year in our home, raising him as our son. Uh, in that process, I was diagnosed with cancer, and I had to get that treated. I had to go to Hong Kong to get that treated. Praise God, uh, I got cured from that cancer, no, no issue there. But it was a little bit uncertain time, because if you know, when you adopt a kid, you have to be perfectly healthy. And so we had a little bit of issue there. We didn't know if my health would even be good and what it would do with the adoption process. So it was a, a tough time for us. And in the midst of all that, I was in Hong Kong and got a phone call from the, adopt from, uh, the adoption agency. And they said, uh, we're sorry to have to tell you, but you're going to have to give Christopher up. Uh, the government found out that you were fostering him, and that's against the law. And so they want you to turn him back in, and they'll give you another child. Well, I got news for you. At that time, he'd been in our home for over a year, and there is no way that he's going to, we're going to just turn him in, exchange him, you know. I think that lady could tell by my voice that I was really strong on that. I said, no way. I told her we're going to exhaust every possible means uh, before we give up on Christopher. And just let's take a side note right there, just a, a caveat here. That's just like God. He will never, ever easily give up when it comes to his children. He loves us too much. And I wasn't going to give him up. And the good part of that story is, and that's a story for another day, a miracle of God took place there for us to keep Christopher. But the struggles of 2004 made me stronger and stronger in my love for God and my trust in God because we went through it. We were bent. We were squeezed. We were drawn through the fire, so to speak but it did make us stronger. And when I was at Southwestern Seminary, I used to have students come into my office all the time, wondering if they made the right decision about following God and giving up all they gave up to, to prepare to be a minister or missionary or whatever. They'd sit at my desk and they said, maybe I got it wrong. And I used to tell them, I said, it goes against God's character to ever trick us or deceive us. He's not gonna do it. If you feel like God was calling you to seminary or to be a missionary or whatever, and you believe it in your heart, just camp out there. He's not going to deceive us. And you'll, it might be tough, but you'll be stronger as a result of it. I could say that confidently because I had lived it. And all of us have lived that. So last uh, verse here to go along with that was is Psalms 34, one of my favorite psalms, a portion of it. Uh, and it really became real to me because one of my great opportunities to go on mission trips was to Africa, to Zimbabwe. And I could hear the lions chase zebras at nighttime. Uh, and it was quite a, an interesting uh, sound. Psalms 34 says, Find out for yourself how good the Lord is. Happy are those who find safety with him. Honor the Lord, all his people. Those who obey him have all they need. Even lions go hungry for lack of food, but those who obey the Lord lack for nothing. And that's right out of God's word and the promise that we can hang our hat on each and every night. So let's make application of that real quick. Bottom line is we can find safety with God. We can have all that we need and we can get through the troubles of life uh, with God when through his son, Jesus Christ, he ministers us and makes us stronger than ever before. Those trials we go through with God's help will make us stronger in the end. So folks, sometimes we have to go through suffering to see God's grace. Betron, the mountain town. Today, I'm still in contact with a young believer that home where the pig came and said hello to me one night uh, is, is that young man. His, he lost his father. He lost one of his brothers, but he and his mom survived. And he's thriving now. He's a fine Christian man. 
and uh, raising a family of his own with two children, raising them to know who God is. So even though sometimes terrible things happen, like you saw in that earthquake, God has a purpose and plan for it. Uh, it we see his grace sometimes later on. So grace is, what God is, grace is what carries God's children through the various circumstances in life. We have grace to see us through those things and grace to get us home on the other end when it comes, right? One last quick illustration and I'm finished. Um, Bono from U2. Some of you know him, right? Uh, I came across a very interesting interview with him uh, back in 2001. I think it was in Rolling Stones magazine, actually. Uh, he was being interviewed by a gentleman that uh, interviews a lot of those kind of uh, celebrities. And uh, in that interview, the idea of Christianity came up. And so Bono said this. He said, the most powerful idea that's entered the world in the last few thousand years, the idea of grace, is the reason I would like to be a Christian. Though, as I said to The Edge, which is one of the band players uh, the other day, I sometimes feel like I'm more of a fan than in the band. He says, I can't live up to the demands of following Christ. But the reason I would like to is the idea of grace. And the last three words he said in that interview, he said, it is really powerful. And grace is powerful. God's grace is powerful, folks. Peter told that the first century Christians, and it's still true to this day. Nothing has changed. God's grace is still sufficient. So, as Clint comes up for, to lead us in our time of invitation, let's just go back and camp out on 1 Peter 5.10. Remember what it says? It says, a God who is full of grace, he will, and in the Greek, literally, personally, he himself will come and pick you up, set you firmly in place, and make you stronger than ever before. And when we leave here today, counting on those three things, and asking him to do that, when we need him to do that in our life. So if you're here this morning, maybe the first decision you have to make is to be a follower of Christ. Just like that mother on the mountain, the first thing she did was ask Jesus in her heart because she realized that the gospel message was true. And she didn't wait. She didn't hold back. She knelt and prayed and asked Jesus to come into her life. Maybe some of you need to do that today. Because when Jesus is the center of our life, then he can get busy working in our lives and correct some of the things that we are going through, help us get through the sufferings and the things that, that uh, kind of bog us down sometimes. We need that relationship with Christ first. Uh, some of you just may need to come and just thank God for his grace and mercies. You know, like Peter did, I'm sure before he wrote that passage in 1 Peter 5, 10, you know, he sat for a moment and he started to let the flood of memories come through his mind. All those things that God, that Jesus had done for him. All those times when Peter let Jesus down, Peter realized that Jesus never let him down. And that character of who Jesus is and who God is is still true to this day. We may have disappointed him. I know I disappoint him all the time. I'm the chief of sinners sometimes. I argue with Paul about that. Uh, I think we all do. But he never stops loving us. And he's always there to pick us up, to put his hand down and pull us right out from where we are and give us what we need. So maybe as the flood of memories goes through your mind this morning of all that God's done for you, maybe you just need to come and say thank you to God. Thank you for the grace and mercies extended to you and your families. Whatever it is, uh, you can respond in whatever way. I know uh, we'll have some folks up here to 
respond during, uh, to talk to you during the response. Uh, and I just thank you this morning for giving me the opportunity, for Brady, for letting me to, to share a little bit about our experience in China. Um, great memories that have grown my faith. And still to this day, I love following God. I love telling people that they can count on God. And we've seen some, God do some amazing things recently uh, to people who seek after God. He'll ne he's never out of that business of doing that kind of stuff. So respond to it however you want to, uh, however you feel like God is asking you to. And again, just thank you for this opportunity this morning to, to, to speak to you.